I think I'm live. I think I'm live. I can hear the vibrations. I can feel the vibrations. Test one, two, three. One. I'll give a few more minutes. Uh, I am he who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. So they were saying to him, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. Good? Okay. Sorry. All right, let's begin. Let's open in prayer. Dear God and Father, we thank you for your mercy and grace to us in Christ Jesus, uh, our Lord. We just thank you that... uh, all three members of the Godhead would come together and uh, desire to have uh, a fellowship with uh, created beings. And we're just awed by the fact that it was through the death, burial, and resurrection uh, and ascension uh, of Jesus Christ that we have this grace there to which we stand. Just, we just pray that we are attentive uh, to what is spoken. I pray for myself that what I speak would be as uh, uh, from your word uh, and encouraging uh, and edifying. And we pray this all through Christ's name. Amen. So the next series, uh, the next lesson in the answers in Genesis is Jesus Christ, the I am. Um, I'm going to only spend about, uh, there's been a lot of things that have come along in in my way the past few months and a lot of thoughts and questions and uh, situations and it, and it, it, dovetails into this, the Jesus being the I am, the deity of Jesus Christ. So I'm only going to take about 60%, maybe 70% of the answers in, what was that movie, The um, Da Vinci Code? I have family who are Jehovah's Witnesses, and they come along and they say, well, you know, they, they invented that Jesus was was God in, in the Council of Nidea, Nicaea, and then you know, they throw in Constantine, the emperor, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that's just not true. Um, you don't take... You don't just come out of thin air and say, well, we're going to make Jesus God. Um, there have been constant challenges to Christ's deity. Um, I, I was, as I was meditating upon some of my notes, um, I mean, isn't that one of the reasons why they wanted to stone Jesus? Because he claimed to be God and they didn't believe it. So, I mean, it started even back then when Jesus was here. But one of the biggest ones was Arius, a, t- a teacher named Arius, and that's where we get the word Arianism. He was a teacher in the 4th century. That means the 300s. I always get that wrong. I think 4th century is like 400s, but you've got to subtract one. That's like I was born in 1959, so I just take 1960 and subtract one whenever I figure out my age because I can never remember it. Um, he taught that Jesus was God's first act of creation. Um, but if we look in 1 John 3, I would, re- I would rebut that by, uh, if somebody can stand up and read 1 John, sorry, John, Gospel of John chapter 1, verse 3. Anybody have that? Rob? It says, all things were made through him, 
So if Jesus was made, then if not all things were made without him, then how could he be made? So that verse just clearly contradicts that teaching. Uh, he also ta- taught that Jesus had divine attributes, but he wasn't God. And he could do God-like things, but he wasn't God himself. But in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, and we're, I think a lot of us are familiar with that verse. Can somebody come up with that one? You didn't know this was going to be a sword drill, did you? I grew up with a lot of sword drills. Rob, do you want to? You have your, oh, Mary? So there it is right there. Jesus is deity. He was, um, he was divine. Well, why did this come about? Why was the Council of Nicaea there to define the divinity of Jesus Christ? Well, they were developed to define the biblical and orthodox view of Jesus' nature. It's very, very important because he's a member of the Godhead. And I don't know if you can see in the background, you've got the burning bush there where um, the Lord revealed himself to Moses as the I am. And he says, Moses, take off your shoes. We're on holy, you're on holy ground. We're on holy ground here because we're talking about a person of the Godhead. You know, so getting this right is getting God right. So the council came together and they said, listen, this is the biblical view and this will be the orthodox view of Jesus' nature. He is fully God. I just want to go into a little bit of some of the where we might find that in the New Testament. We look in Titus 2.13. We find it in the New Testament writings. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. But what about outside of the New Testament? Outside of the New Testament, well, we have um, the first century into the second century, a man named Polycarp. Polycarp, it's not a multi-headed fish. That was his name. So... He was actually a disciple of the Apostle John, and he wrote a letter to the Philippians, and he said, and to us with you and all those under heaven who will yet believe in our Lord and God, Jesus Christ, and in his Father who raised him from the dead. So it went from the first century into the second century. I just, and there were other people who wrote about this. These are just some of my favorite quotes. Justin Martyr. A dialogue with Trypho and his writing there. For if you had understood what had been written by the prophets, you would have not denied that he was God, son of the only unbegotten, unutterable God. So there you go, and now into the second century, and in second century into the third, Tertullian, Treatise on the Soul, for God alone is without sin, and the only man without sin is Christ, since Christ also is God. So we have that flow from the early scriptures all the way up to the third century, the belief that Jesus Christ was God. It wasn't something that was invented. It was something that was held on to by the early uh, church and the early church fathers. Wow. I spent a lot longer rehearsing this. (laughs) I'll slow down. So um, there's a lot of, uh, there's continual challenges to the deity of Jesus Christ. Um, the mid-1800s was really a, a tumultuous time for the world and Christianity. Um, the French Revolution was done. There was a lot of craziness going on. Um, there was a lot of biblical prophecy that people had 
um, there's what they call a day-age theory, where they took a certain number of days and converted them to years. And you go into Revelation, you look at 1,260, well, and they converted those to years. And they thought that this was the time when, um, uh, if, if you do it from certain prof, what they called prophetic events, you'll get into the 1800s. And there was just a lot of thoughts and craziness going on, um, one of which was a, a pastor who came up, Charles Taze Russell, and he invented, if you read the writings from the 1800s, you'll see they called it Russellism, named after Charles Hayes Russell. And he's the, basically the father of Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, I, I, that's my little dig, so-called witnesses. Um, they don't have the true Jehovah. Their teaching teaches that Jesus was the first creation of God. Again, like Arianism, that he was the first created being. They also teach that Jesus was Archangel Michael before his birth. So in his incarnation, he was Jesus, but before that, he was the Mike, uh, Archangel Michael. Um, it just, but it gets even more bizarre than that. Joseph Smith, who is the founder of Mormonism, um, or what is called the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, uh, that started again in the mid-1800s. Uh, it's interesting that, excuse me, Usually after a lot of these leaders passed away, like Charles Taze Russell and Joseph Smith, a lot of these cults went into a hiatus because they didn't know what was gonna, where to go next. Uh, with, the, with the mainline group of Mormons that followed under Brigham Young, and they went out to Salt Lake City. They started around Ohio, Illinois area, even though Joseph Smith was from upstate New York. Um, but there's, uh, there's still a heavy group there that's... Um, in that Ohio, uh, Indiana area. Um, but with Charles Taze Russell, the largest group that we know of is the Jehovah's Witnesses, but there's about at least, uh, at least three other splinter groups. Um, and same thing with Joseph Smith. It's interesting that Brigham Young took the largest group, went out to Salt Lake City, but um, somebody came up with a revelation that it was actually following through his son. So he actually had a series of, of uh, progenitors um, Unfortunately, that ended about like 20 or 30 years ago um, because there was no more descendants of Joseph Smith. So they came up with another revelation that it would follow another person who is um, not of the descent of Joseph Smith. So it's interesting how these, um, these churches, these groups, I don't even want to call them churches. It's interesting how these groups just uh, morph with divine revelations to go in whatever direction they want to go in. There's actually a few other ones under uh, Mormonism. J.J. Uh, Strang, I think his name was. Um, and there was a group called the Strangites. And I think there's like one church left out in um, Michigan or Wisconsin somewhere. So um, it's all but died out. But the, the next, I, the reason I bring this one up, the, our, the, the reformed, sorry, the reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints uh, the RLDS, they're now called Communities of Christ. And um, it's interesting because um, you might pass by their church. I think they have a church off of Route 28 in, like, Boundbrook, Middlesex area. So, like, I was driving by, and I saw this one. It's a Communities of Christ. I said, wow, that really sounds nice. Lindsay? Lindsay? Is that you? Okay, maybe not. Um, <laughs> uh, there's a, but, you know... Just to warn you, if you see something like Communities of Christ, they're not true believers. They follow after Joseph Smith. Um, they hold to a lot of his teachings. Um, 
In regular Mormonism, they teach that Christ was first begotten as a spirit. He teaches firstborn offspring of God the Father, Elohim, and one of his heavenly wives. Uh, I would encourage everybody to um, Google Mormonism. There's a cartoon about it. Uh, I don't want to say cartoon. It's an animation about it that presents a lot of the truths of this. Um, it's just very, very interesting uh, of what they believe, but that they believe that they... Uh, Jesus was the firstborn offspring of God the Father, Elohim, and one of his heavenly wives. They also teach that Jesus um, and, and Satan are half-brothers and um, from the same father but not the same heavenly wife. Uh, they also teach that, uh, um, that Jesus came up with a plan to redeem humanity and so did Satan, but God, Elohim, preferred Jesus' one over Satan's and that's why there's a... There's a fight between the two. It just gets, it just spirals out of control. They teach the incarnation between the Heavenly Father and Mary. Um, and continued bizarreness, Adam was Michael the Archangel and he was our father in God. So uh, it, just, it just spirals off into to crazy con, um, craziness. Um, some of the things that... Uh, I, I'm surprised some of these, these cults are still around today. I mean, from a biblical point of view they can be easily destroyed. But even from a practical point of view, one of the things uh, nowadays that um, I don't understand how Mormonism survives. And in fact, it's to the point uh, of some of the reading I've been doing that Mormons don't even believe that the Book of Mormon is inspired. And the reason being is that um, DNA evidence, one of the things that the Mormons believe is that some of the lost tribes of Israel came over to America and they became now the Native Americans or Aboriginal people or what used to be called, unpolitically correct, Indians. Um, they were actually, the, uh, the Native Americans were actually descendants of Jews. And DNA evidence just blew that out of the water. They said there's no possible link between the two. Um, and there's other things that totally destroyed, uh, can destroy them. Yet Mormonism is still thriving and growing. Jehovah's Witnesses have had bad um, prophecies and um, times of Christ's return, and I'm surprised they're still around. Finally, Sir Isaac Newton. Um, a lot of people know Sir Isaac Newton. He was, um, um, he didn't invent gravity, he discovered gravity. Uh, a lot of people say he was a great scientist, and he was, but he was actually a heavy theologian. Unfortunately, he had issues with the Trinity. Um, he thought it was contrived and that uh, the rest of Christianity was a bunch of heretics. So, uh, the the material for the Jesus statements of the I am. Um, I just wanted to before I get again before I get into the total material of the answers in Genesis. Um, just some other things that have come on to my heart. A lot of people say, well. The focus of John's gospel is that Jesus Christ is God the Son. I don't disagree with that. It's just that um, let's just look at what the purpose is. And that is, John says, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. And the word Christ to a person in the time of John's writing would be the Messiah. He'd be the prophesied Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you have life in his name. And the reason I bring that up is because some people have argued that Jesus was not saying he was God in the I Ams, but merely Christ. In other words, except you believe that I am, or when he um, 
before Abraham was, I am. Not all, not all theologians believe that, that that is connected with what was said uh, to Moses and the burning bush. However, um, equating Christ with the Son of God means deity. Um, and to prove that, there are several verses. <clears throat> John ten thirty three, I and the Father are one. The Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered him, answered them, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? The Jews answered, For good works we don't stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. So I, the, I, I was challenged by somebody to say, well, you know, when Jesus said the I am, he wasn't saying the I am of the Old Testament, but he really was. <laughs> you know, you make that association that if Jesus is the Christ and Christ is the Son of God, then therefore he's deity. He is God the Son. John 5.18, the Jews sought all the more to kill him because not, he not only broke the Sabbath, but he said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. So if God is his father, Jesus is the son, he is equal with God. The Jews totally understood that. The people of his time totally understood that. They just had a hard time with it and didn't believe it. And finally, in John 19.7, the Jews answered Pilate and said, we have a law, and by that law, he ought to die because he made himself out to be the son of God. And the death penalty was for being equal with God. And finally, um, we look in the Old Testament, the prophecy of the Messiah, to prove that Messiah is deity. For a child will be born unto us, a son will be given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. The reason I put into brackets the... Um, the uh, eternal father as father eternity. That's more of the literal translation. It's like saying Thomas Edison was the father of the light bulb. So he didn't really give birth to the light bulb. He just, um, he brought it into being. And the same way for us, uh, eternal life is brought to us by Jesus Christ. And then finally, uh, Christ embodied the fullness of the Godhead. And, um, Paul wrote this to the Colossians because in him doth tabernacle all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. I wanted to put that in the Young's literal translation because it kind of gives a more accurate sense of what it's saying. Um, so in his body, all the fullness of the Godhead dwelt. So um, that, if that isn't, to me, that's like the, uh, the seal on the fact that Jesus is a member of the Godhead. Uh, we're going to now focus a little more on the answers in Genesis piece. And um, uh, John chapter, let's uh, open our Bibles and turn to John chapter 8 and start with verse 12. And this is a rather long section. So. John chapter 8 with verse 12, and I'll, I'll read to the end of the chapter. <clears throat> Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisee said to him, you're testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not true. 
Jesus answered and said to them, even if I testify about myself, my testimony is true or it's valid. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I am not judging anybody. But even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For I'm not alone in it, but the Father who sent me. Even in your law, it has been written that the testimony of two men is true. I am he who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. So they were saying to him, well, where is your father? Jesus said, you neither know me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one sees them because his hour had not yet come. Then he again said to them, I go away, and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews were saying, surely he will not kill himself, will he? Since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. And he was saying to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. So they were saying to him, well, who are you? Jesus said to them, what I've been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you, <clears throat> but he who sent me is true, and the things which I have heard from him, these I speak to the world. They did not realize that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am, and I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me, and he has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have not been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say, We will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So this, if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you have heard from your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you're Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me. A man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God, this Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. They said to him, we are not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, if, you were, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whatever he, whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? If I speak the truth, why do you not believe me? 
He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them because you are not of God. The Jews answered and said to him, do we not rightly say that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. But I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died and the prophets also. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he'll never taste of death. Surely you're not greater than our father Abraham who died. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me of whom you say he is our God. And you have not come to know him, but I know him. And if I say that I do not know him, I will be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus was hidden himself and went out of the temple. I know that's really a long section, but uh, hopefully we'll get through it relatively, uh, relatively smoothly. So in this section, there's lots of theological points, but let's focus on the I am's. Let's kind of look at the whole scenario here. So this is going to be kind of a, a question and answer. So I'll ask the question and you have to answer, okay? That, that makes it easier for me. So, uh, so how did Jesus identify himself in verse 12? Yes, right. Jesus is the light of the world. Um, I, I was also thinking in, uh, in 1 John 1 verse 5, um, it says, uh, this is the message which we have heard from him, Christ, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So if Jesus is the light of the world and God is light, it makes him God. What is true of those who follow Jesus? Because he is the light of the world. He'll keep his word. Craig? Correct. Um, and and a, uh, a precursor to that, they will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. <clears throat> in verse 13, um, what did the Pharisees accuse Jesus of? Jenny? Sorry? Right. Uh, and basically, it was an inadequate witness. You know, he was claiming his own authority, um, but that wasn't true. So how did Jesus counteract their Their How did he counter their accusations? I'll give you a hint, verse 18. Correct. It was, uh, he clearly told them that his witness was true and that the Father bore witness of him. 
who did Jesus claim had sent him? Well, we basically said that already. Yeah, his father, right. By the way, I, I was just trying to think, um, how did the father bear witness of Christ? That just kind of came to me. I mean, he says, he says, my father's bearing witness of me, so how is he bearing witness of Christ? This one's got, I'm kind of thinking on my feet here because I, I didn't really rehearse this one. <laughs> it just came to my mind. I think, I think one of the ways, does somebody have something? Sorry? Yeah, so Jesus said, um, the father bore witness of him. Well, how did the father bear witness of Christ? Roy? And uh, Dwayne, were you? I see you shaking your head. Good, Caleb. Yeah, I, I, I and uh, I, I'm, I'm agreeing with everything. I was thinking along the same, along the same lines. Definitely at his baptism, right? This is my beloved son. You know, listen to him, and. Uh, and the miracles themselves were just proof that God was with him. In fact, that's, I can, sometimes I just try to take and put my head into like a person's shoes when they're in the, um, in any of the narratives. I think of Nicodemus when he came to Jesus. He's kind of like, he, I, I can, this is just me. So <laughs> you don't have to, you just bear with me. And, but, you know, I just think, okay, here I am, Nicodemus. I'm in my, you know, whatever, Sanhedrin robe or whatever it is. And you're walking up and you're like, it's night, right? Because you've got to go to Jesus at night because you don't want people seeing you, right? So he comes up to Jesus and he's got a lot in his mind. And I feel like he's almost stumbling over his words. He's saying like, wait, you're, you're, you've got to be a man from God because nobody can truly do the things that you do unless God is with them, you know? And I could just see... You know, I get that way a lot too. You got a lot of thoughts in your head and you wonder how, how this is. And I can see, and then Jesus just goes boom right into, well, except the man be born again, he can't see the kingdom of heaven. You know, so um, I, I think um, in, in that way, he saw, he saw what was going on. Nicodemus saw what was going on. And he saw that, that was, God was truly with him and that God was actually um, was giving validity to his sayings, yet what Jesus was saying was so contrary to what, especially him, you know, being part of the council, you know, Jesus kind of went against that, but all these miracles that he did, God was truly with him, so this is given validity to the word of what he said. Sorry, that was off, more off the cuff. Um, whom did Jesus claim who had sent him his father? Why was it important for Jesus to have another witness to vouch for his claim? And I think, Caleb, you, you, you mentioned that. Um, in the Old Testament, Jesus pointed to what was written in the Jewish law that two or three witnesses establish a matter, uh, Deuteronomy seven 16. I'm also thinking, uh, last minute, Matthew eighteen sixteen. remember, um, if your brother is, uh, sins against you, um, if he listens to you, good, if he doesn't, so here you are, and he says, take one or two others, so if you take one or two others, you have the two or three. 
So one plus u is two, one plus u plus two others is three. So uh, that's the matter Then when you bring it before the church or, uh, or others, you have the two or three witnesses. Not that your witness isn't valid, it's that yours plus another is valid. Rob? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, Verse 19, how did Jesus relate himself to the Father? Well, he drew a very close connection. Knowing the Son is knowing the Father. In fact, he would, um, he that has seen me has seen the Father. Like Jesus had to tell that to one of his disciples, right? Wasn't that, uh, I forget which one it is now. Thomas, was it? What did, reveals, <clears throat> what did Jesus reveal to the Jews about their fate in verses 21 and 24? And I think this is really a, um, an important point. Okay. Exactly, right. He told them they would die in their sins. And uh, I'll get into that a little bit more heavily. Um, but that's, to me, that's a, a, a precious but a, um, but a sober verse. Okay. Let's continue on. Well, why did Jesus say they would die in their sins? Yes, absolutely. Verse 24, he said that they would die in their sins because they did not believe that Jesus is the I am. Um, Just a little point of reference. Uh, Some of you in your Bibles, if you see the word I am he, the word he is in italics, sideways. It means uh, that's not really in the original Greek. They do that to try to help you along, but sometimes it's not always helpful. Um, Sometimes it kind of distracts, and in this case... um, Except you believe that I am, not I am he, but I am. Um, and that is a reference to um, most, I'm going to be careful here, most theologians related to the, to the burning bush and the Lord revealing himself to Moses. Some do not, but to me it doesn't matter either way. If he's saying that I am Christ, that means he's still deity. Um, but uh, <clears throat> you must believe that Jesus is the I am. Everybody, this song just came to my head. Everybody remember that song, Let's Talk About Jesus? How many people remember that song? Let's talk about Jesus, the King of kings. Is he? Oh, I'm doing a solo here. <laughs> the Lord of all, supreme through all eternity. He's the great I am, the way, the truth, the life, the door. Let's talk about Jesus more and more. Ah, <laughs> uh, could be a brethren song, yeah. No, it was actually, it was actually a radio program, a guy named Wayne Momblo back in the... Remember him? Yeah. Let's talk about Jesus. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, now you see why I'm not up here. Okay. Uh, Where did Jesus' message come from according to verse 26? I heard the Father. 
Yes, he spoke what he heard from the Father. Did the Pharisees understand his reference to God the Father? Verse 27. Nope, simple answer. (laughs) What event was foreshadowed in verse 28? He said he's lifting up the Son of Man. What is that a foreshadow of? The crucifixion, right? So, lift up the Son of Man is a foreshadowing of the crucifixion. In fact, I think in um, John 3, like with Nicodemus, you know, it's after that. As, as As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. All right. What was the result of this dialogue in verse 30? Yes. Many, word for word, that's very good. Thank you. <clears throat> Who did Jesus turn his attention to in verse 31? Well, he was no longer speaking to the Pharisees directly, but those who believed in what he was saying. So we have, so Jesus spoke all these words, right? And many came to believe in him. And then he turns his attention to them in verse 31. What makes someone a disciple or follower of Jesus? Absolutely. Abiding in his word or his teaching, you know, living it out. You know, it's, it's a, I like what James has to say, you know, be a doer of the word and not just a hearer only. So, um, not that works save, but works certainly is one of the evidences of your salvation. What is the result of knowing the truth? It sets you free. Very good. I think I'm doing okay on time. All right. Uh, just a few more questions. Based on the reaction from the Jews in verse 33, what type of freedom did they think Jesus was talking about? Um, the freedom from the oppressive Roman Empire. Right, the Roman government. They must have thought he was talking about freedom from political and personal slavery rather than spiritual slavery since they claimed to have never been in bondage to anyone. Actually, this is a silly claim since the Jews had been in slavery to many different people groups since Abraham, right? So, you know, whether you've got the Medes and the Persians and uh, now particularly the Roman government, um, they were in bondage in the past, physical bondage. How did Jesus correct their misconception, though? Verses 34 and 35. That's a good question. <laughs> um, you, know, I, you know, honestly, I don't have a good answer for that one. I'm, I'm thinking, um, you know, I was trying to think of all the different questions that people would ask, and I didn't think of that one. Um, anybody might have an idea. Why did people think that? Really like slaves, they had to pay tax to Rome, 
but they weren't actually slaves, like with a master telling them what to do. So maybe they just meant themselves, not like, but not like all the Jewish people in general over time. Maybe they just meant that particular time. You know, it's it's interesting too because um, I wish Dave were here. Yeah, what would Dave do? So, uh, what would Dave say? But I think a lot of what he had taught us in the past, uh, um, you know, about the type of the type of overtaking that the Roman governments would do was that they would give a lot of people a lot of their religious freedom, but it wouldn't be true freedom, but it would certainly be enough where they felt that they were free. You know, um, rather than coming in and enforcing them to be um, Roman citizens and worshipping the Roman god, uh, they, they were allowed a certain amount of freedom. But, you know, I don't... And maybe they were also very short-sighted because a lot of things that happened in the past, I mean, they were dragged out of their, their homes. You know, here they were still in Jerusalem. Um, uh, in a lot of the Old Testament, uh, when Babylon came along, you know, they dragged, they dragged a lot of them out. So maybe they just also had short memories. Good question, though. So how did Jesus correct their misconception? He was speaking to them of slavery to sin, not another form. He had come to set them free from the slavery to sin. What did Jesus say the people desired to do to him? Yep, that's true. Yep. They were seeking to kill him. By the way, if, if, if you're going to do any homework, I encourage you to read John chapter 7 because it's a precursor to John chapter 8. And you'll see a lot of parallels between that chapter and this chapter. And he talked about them trying to kill him in, in that chapter also. It's interesting, um, <clears throat> the, the parallel between the two. Uh, how did Jesus use the contrast of the two fathers to point to the sinfulness of the people? He said they were what? He was, uh, yes. He told them that if they were of his father God, then they would believe him fully. Since they did not, the devil was their father. And again, what was the context of this? Who is he talking to? He's talking to the people that said they believed in him. You know? um, Jesus would not be a popular preacher today, would he? He would not want to offend his congregation. Jesus told it like it is. You know, um, you know a lot of people, you know, brand the name Christian. Um, I just thought it just came to my head. You ever realize that when the Mormons, and, oh, we were talking about Je- Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, they want to consider themselves as Christians, right? They want, to, they want to, in the fold of what is generally called Christendom, anybody who professes Christ, yet all their founders will tell you that unless you joined their church, you weren't a believer, you know, you're condemned to hell. So they want to be considered as Christians, but they don't consider the true Christians as Christians. Just... They're of their father, the devil, unfortunately. From verses 45 to 47, why did these people not fully believe in Jesus? No. Yes. Because they were not of God. Yes. Um, he gave two words. He told them the truth, and they were not of God. So they did not hear his words. Very good. Thank you. There we go. Um, I'm going to move these through 
quickly because I'm spending more time than I should. How did they seek to discredit Jesus? Well, they said he was born of fornication and said he had a demon. He was a Samaritan, which basically means he worshipped God wrongly. Remember, Jesus told the Samaritan woman, you don't even know what you worship. We know what we worship because salvation is of the Jews. So, um, and it's always interesting that, you know, when, when... I don't want to drag politics into things, but if you try to follow the political scene, everybody's always yelling at each other and calling them bad things. You know, Jesus called them out and said, you know, there, there are false attacks because there was no actual sin in his life to discredit him. People will just say, oh, he's a jerk, he's an idiot, he's a whatever. But they don't really go to the issues. They just try to make, you know, blanket statements without any facts behind them. So Jesus really attacked them with the facts. He says, which of you convicts me of sin? Nobody could raise their hand, right? He was sinless. When Jesus said that all who keep his word will never see death, who did the Jews point to as someone who had died? They all pointed to Abraham and the prophets as someone who died even though he was righteous. This reinforces that they were still thinking in earthly terms and not heavenly or spiritual terms. And what did Abraham say? What did Jesus say Abraham rejoiced to see? Abraham saw Jesus' day and was glad for it. Now, <clears throat> this, how does that come about? Um, one explanation is we should understand this as Abraham seeing forward by faith to the day when the Messiah would come. He saw the beginning of the promise fulfilled in the birth of Isaac, the son of promise. Um, can somebody read Galatians 3, chapter 8, real quick? No, Rob? What? Galatians 3. Oh, exactly. Yeah, sorry, Galatians chapter 3, verse 8. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So people always ask, you know, how did the Old Testament people get saved? Well, there it clearly says, Paul tells the Galatians, Abraham had the gospel preached to him. What was that gospel? In thy seed all the nations will be blessed. When Abraham saw that seed, not only did he get his fulfillment of, you know, having multiple children eventually, but also through that seed, the nations would be blessed. There would be a Messiah, and that Messiah would be the Savior. So Abraham actually saw that. How did the Jews misunderstand Jesus' claim about Abraham? I'll move quickly. Again, they saw it as an earthly expression since Jesus was not yet 50 years old. And Abraham could not have been alive at the same time. Um, It's interesting, one of the church fathers, and I won't mention their name, he actually takes this verse and he says, well, you say Jesus had to be close to 50 years old. Um, (laughs) He was not very, very good with timelines. Uh, So he took this verse very literally um, and said that, oh, Jesus had to be like around, you know, in his 40s for this to be able to be true. But we know Jesus passed away when he was around 33 uh, years of age. How did Jesus respond to that in verse 58? He told them what? Before Abraham was, I am. Again, if your translation has the word he in there, take that out. Jesus is uh, claiming to be the Messiah, to be God himself. He was claiming to be God and to have existed before Abraham. This was a clear claim of deity. And did the Jews understand his claim accurately? 
Yeah, they did, didn't they? And what, um, and what was the result of their understanding that he was making a claim to deity? That's right. Because they took up stones to stone him. They realized his claim, identifying himself as God, they considered it blasphemy and prepared to actually take punishment right then and there. And how did Jesus escape their wrath? Yeah. He hid himself and walked through the midst of them. And looking back to verse 20, we know that his hour had not yet come. I don't think Jesus became invisible. I just think that they were blinded to see what happened. I, I think... Sometimes I like reading the Young's literal translation. It says he was hidden from them. So I think that there was a blindness on their part that God had just miraculously done to let them uh, pass uh, pass through without even, you know, with some type, with some type of confusion. Caleb? So in 58, where, um, well, in 59, the fact that these people hear his claim and essentially are denying it, by stoning they're saying they don't approve of it. That that is not the same people then who are believing in him earlier in the chapter. In the context it is, but you know, I I think Jesus was focusing his attention on his believers, but I believe the other people were there. So um you know in John chapter six we saw that same thing. He says, you know, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you know, I don't think I think um I mean, his disciples were there, and that didn't include them. So, you know, there's a dividing line between those who really did believe on him and those who had a superficial, um, ungrounded faith in him. You know, they might have saw the miracles. They might have liked what he said. In fact, that's why I want you to read chapter, chapter 7, because you'll see that um, even the Roman soldiers, uh, um, I'm sorry, I don't even know if they were Roman soldiers. The soldiers who went there to take hold of Jesus, they heard his words, and they're like, nobody spoke like this. You know, and, you know, the, the leaders are like, what did he deceive you to? You know, so um, we know that to do true believers by faith, you know, and they, they wouldn't do that. But there are just some people who, um, you know, they may make a profession, but they just can't handle what Jesus had to say. They might believe that uh, he's their redeemer in, in an earthly sense, you know, where he comes and he delivers them from the Romans. Um, but then, you know, claiming his deity is just out of their, out of their realm of understanding. Uh, I just want to look briefly. I have uh, ten minutes left. Oh, yeah. What passage from the Old Testament would the Jews have connected with the claims to be I am? And you, you can hold it down; it'll turn off. Then hold it down again. Ah, okay. I got to be quick. Thank you. They would have thought of his identification of Moses to the I am in Exodus three fourteen. Um, what two attributes of God are found in Jesus' claim to be I am? Identifying him as God who existed before Abraham, he was claiming to be the eternal in the name I am, which is a statement of God's independence, God's eternality and his independence. Uh, and I just want to look where Jesus used the few I am's in the, um, in the Gospel of John. John chapter 6, 35, anybody just kind of off the top of their head? Jesus said, I am the I am the bread of life. Oh, I gave it up there. <laughs> Jesus is the true sustenance from the Father, sustaining the soul. God's grace and mercy are displayed there. I am the light of the world. That's the section we're just in right now, right? 
Jesus is the light that allows all to see and walk in truth. God's holiness and wisdom are displayed there. I am before Abraham was. Jesus identifies himself as the eternal, infinite God. God's independence and eternality are displayed. By the way, I, um, if you want these notes, I would, I would look at the, the I am's of the, um, of the Gospel of John because there's just some... Um, Jesus makes the statement, but he sur- they're surrounded by the actual stories themselves as to why he said that. So he makes the identification to them in a, in a real way. I am the door of the sheep. Jesus is the only entrance by which sheep enter to be saved. God's grace and mercy are displayed there. I am the good shepherd. So not as only he the door of the sheep, he's the good shepherd. Jesus gives his life for the sheep, sacrificing himself that they may have life. God's holiness, justice, mercy, and grace are displayed. I am the resurrection and the life. Lazarus, raising him from the dead. Jesus offers eternal life to all who trust in him. God's omnipotence and faithfulness to his promise are on display. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the only way to receive salvation and eternal life. God's wisdom, holiness, and mercy are displayed. A lot of people, uh, not a lot of people, some people might say, well, you know, there's no definite article in the Greek, I am way, truth, and life. Each, and in fact, that's what most people believe today. Well, Jesus is just one of many ways, you know, and that's what you believe, and that's all okay. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. And he made that, whatever, whatever you believe about the first part is going to be dictated by the second part, where he said, no one comes to the Father except through me. That's the exclusivity of the only way of Jesus of salvation. John 15, 1, I am the vine. Uh, it's an old, uh, how do people remember Keith Green? The musician Keith Green? A few of you. He has a song uh, where Jesus says, he is the vine and you are the branch. So I can remember that. Some of you got it. Okay, I am the vine. Jesus is the source of life for all who abide in him. God's grace and and love are displayed. Now to wrap up uh, in application. Why is it essential to believe Jesus is the Christ or Messiah, the Son of God, the I Am? Why is that important? Based it on one of the verses that we did in uh, John, John eight twenty four. It's fundamental for everything we believe in. Yes, yeah, it's fundamental. Jesus said, "I said therefore to you that you will die in your sins. For if ye may not believe that I am, you will die in your sins." Uh, <clears throat> I, uh, y- you really can't get any more succinct than that, right? I mean, that's a, it's a fundamental principle. Believing that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, deity in flesh. Um, and I want to wrap up with uh, this verse. This wasn't in the answers in Genesis, but I will... Um, forgiveness of sin, but this next verse... Um, I love this verse. I put this one at the bottom of my checks a lot of times. For him who did not know sin, in our behalf... He did make sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This to me um, is a, an expression of the 
dual nature of Christ, the hypostatic union, the full deity, the full humanity. Um, can anybody explain why I like this verse in relation to that? Now, if Jesus wasn't fully human, he couldn't represent us on the cross, suffering God's wrath, taking the punishment. If he was just a mere created being, he would, um, (laughs) it wouldn't be like us, right? He'd be some other type of being, but he was fully human. Therefore, he could justifiably be the wrath bearer of God, uh, of God's wrath. But on the other hand, being fully deity, we might become the righteousness of God in him. You know, you can be forgiven of your sins, right? But to have an even higher level of righteousness, a righteousness that's not your own, it's the righteousness of God. We have that imputed to us. Now, Jesus wasn't a sinner, and, and, and in and of ourselves, we're not righteous. Jesus had, because he was fully human, could be imputed that wrath of God and be punished as a, as a sinner as we now get to our account the righteousness of God. And to me, um, you know, that is such a glory that I, I could, it's just beyond my, my total comprehension. Um, you know, a lot of the difficulties in, in all of these things of, of understanding uh, the nature and character of God. Um, <clears throat> I want to safely say that it's impossible in our finiteness to know God fully. I mean, we have the scriptures, we have the Bible. To me, that's good enough. God, and God, feel, God, not, not, God ordained that, that his word would be good enough for us to know him. You know, I mean, yes, God is infinite and he, he's like beyond finding out as Paul would say, his ways are past finding. His ways are past finding out, but he is fully knowable, and by fully knowing him, we can fully love him, we can fully honor him, we can fully praise him, and we can fully worship him. So, uh, praise the Lord for um, his revelation of himself to us, and uh, and giving us uh, Christ, um, as it says in Colossians, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. You want to know what God really looks like? You know, Jesus said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. You want to know what God looks like? Study the scriptures, even the Old Testament, because Jesus said, you know, it is they which testify of me. Old Testament and New Testament. You could spend a lifetime, you could spend a hundred years understanding the scriptures and never (laughs) fully um, grasp all the riches. It's like, you know, um, how many people have seen the movie Aladdin? Right? Remember when he walks into the Cave of Wonders and there's all these treasures and stuff like that? I mean, imagine if, you know, you, if you, there's more there than you can, can grasp your hands around. And God is just so infinite, but we're so grateful that he came in the person of Jesus Christ as someone we could understand. Um, and we could follow, and we could worship, and we could adore. So let's just close in prayer. Lord Jesus, it's uh, truly precious that uh, you've revealed yourself to us in the Word, and that you are the great I Am. And you are the way, the truth, the life, the door. And uh, Lord Jesus, uh, may it impress upon us the holiness of your character in person, the uniqueness, uh, being fully God in human flesh. And and for that, uh, 
We thank you for revealing these truths to us. May we take them to heart. May we love God uh, through you uh, and give him all the glory in your name. Amen.